0: Um, I don't know if you're the kind of person, though, who makes resolutions, New Year's resolutions. And in this last day, the last day of 2023, maybe you're thinking about making resolutions or just reflecting over this last year and looking forward to 2024 and the kind of priorities or trajectories that you might have uh, with your time and patterns as well. When I think though about resolutions, I can't help but think about the great American pastor and theologian, Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was an 18th century pastor and theologian in New England. Uh, many Edwards uh, biographers would say he was a, 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 a genius. His mind was just quite brilliant. Many would say that he's the greatest American theologian in, in our history, and it'd be difficult to uh, it'd be difficult to, to debate that um, as well. Uh, but at 18, at just 18, Edwards was a budding. Uh, pastor. He was an associate pastor, an interim pastor at a church in new York city, and he was he was an intense uh, an intense young man. And at just eighteen, he sat down and wrote seventy resolutions. So, if r one, two, or three, uh, he wrote seventy. But his resolutions were not just goals for a new year. Okay, it wasn't just uh, you know a, a few things to accomplish. His resolutions were about specific patterns and priorities, about uh, deep commitments in walking with Jesus. They, in, uh, the, the 70 resolutions covered a, a myriad of topics, everything from his own just life mission, time management, relationships, suffering, character, and spiritual life. He intended to read these resolutions at least once a week to remind him of these kinds of Priorities. If you're interested in reading these today, I would it suggest them to you. Go ahead and, and Google uh, just Jonathan Edwards resolutions or go to the Desiring God website and you'll find them kind of in various categories there. It's a really helpful read. But his first resolution gives us a good introduction or a preface to, uh, to the rest of them. Let me read this. Number one, it's quite long. It's got several resolutions as part of it. But anyways, this is the first one. He says, resolve... That I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so myriad of ages hence. Resolve to whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this whatsoever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great. A a simple way to to summarize Edward's resolutions is that he wanted to glorify God and walk in virtue or walk in wisdom. And today we conclude this series on God's attributes, God with us, by considering the wisdom of God and what it means for him to glorify himself through his wisdom and what it means then for us to walk in wisdom with a wise God. This is, I think, a fitting end to this series related to God's attributes because God's wisdom encapsulates so much of what we have previously discussed. Remember that God's attributes are divided within two categories. The first are his incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable, big word meaning that these are the attributes that make God God that he does not share with us. These are attributes like his self-existence, his eternality. Uh, The fact that he does not change and that he is unified. But, But this is what makes God, God. And then the second category are God's communicable attributes. These are the attributes that he shares with us. These are his relational attributes like holiness, goodness, and love. And wisdom falls within his communicable attributes. Wisdom is a way that which he relates with us. His transcendence, his, his godness is what sets him apart, but his transcendence leads him to act with wisdom in the world, especially with his created people in his image. Wisdom always leads God to relate with with others, So if you're following on your worship program this morning, our main idea related to God's wisdom is this. That the wisdom of God compels us to worship Him and walk in virtue. The wisdom of God compels us to worship Him and walk in, in virtue. Theologian Greg Allison defines God's wisdom this way. He says, wisdom is the divine attribute signifying that God always wills the greatest goals and the best means to achieve those goals For his glory and his people's blessing. God always wills the greatest goals and the best means to achieve those goals. Essentially, when you think about God's wisdom, you think about the the categories of somebody being a visionary and then others of us being implementers. Some of us in this congregation are gifted as visionaries. We can kind of uh, imagine or dream up a plan of this is what I think needs to happen in the long run. But not every visionary is a great implementer or a great manager. Some visionaries have wonderful dreams but can never bring them uh, to being. I can imagine what a room might look like in my house or, or, or how something should, should take place or how I can, uh, you know, kind of a long-term future. I struggle at times to be able to put into plans or, or put into plan uh, various ideas to make those dreams come to fruition. Others, though, in our congregation do a wonderful job of taking direction or, or being cast some vision and saying, I know how we can actually get there. Well, God is both the the best visionary, imagining, dreaming, making plans for uh, for his greatest glory and the good of his people, but he's also the implementer. He's the one who is able to provide the best means to accomplish his divine purposes. And in God's wisdom, he has the best goals for his glory and the good of his people. And he also has the best plans to actualize those as well. And this morning, our primary text, where we will start, and then I'll go to a number of other places, is Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. These four verses are some of my most favorite four verses in all the Bible. And these four verses deserve a thousand sermons. A thousand sermons. This rich doxology, this rich uh, praise, hymn of praise that Paul gives after three marvelous texts of God's plan of salvation, his protection of his people, and his ultimate future goal for his glory and the good of his people results in Paul writing this Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So this mountaintop passage of the Bible about God's wisdom Uh, leads us to consider again that the wisdom of God compels us to worship him and to walk in virtue. Again, Allison's definition is that the wisdom wisdom of God is the divine attribute signifying that God always wills the greatest goals and the best means to accomplish those goals for his glory and the good of his people. So as we look at the sermon today, we'll, we'll notice first about how the Bible describes that God is the all-wise God. Then we'll see how God reveals His wisdom through Christ and His church. and then we'll also look at what does it mean for us as God's people, to walk in virtue, to walk in wisdom, that we might reflect our wise God. So number one, first point: God is all-wise. God is all-wise. So Romans eleven thirty three 33 through 36 are a type of doxology where, where Paul stops to simply worship him in light of his wisdom and his greatness. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He, he pauses to simply praise God because he is all wise. The last verse of Romans has a similar note of praise where Paul writes to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ Amen. As Paul reflects on all that, he's, uh, all that he's written throughout the rest of Romans, throughout, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11, it causes him to simply praise God because he is all wise. Knowledge and wisdom often go together, but knowledge and wisdom are not one and the same thing. Knowing things does not always equate to wise living. Theologian Herman Bovink thinks this through well when he says knowledge is a matter of the mind apart from the will. But wisdom is, though it's a matter of the mind, it is made subservient to the will. Bovink goes on to say that wisdom is the art of living well. That wisdom is reflected, it's evidenced in a transformed life. It's not merely in knowing lots of things. It's reflected in how one lives, how one acts in light of that knowledge and power, So remember, God is the all-knowing and all-powerful God. His transcendence, again, includes his independence. He is independent. He is self-existent. God does not depend on anything outside of himself to exist. His power comes from nothing outside of himself as well. He is completely independent. He's also eternal. He's eternal. Therefore, the triune God never had a beginning and therefore will have No end. He is unchangeable, which means he's reliable, that he never changes in his character. And he's also unifying, meaning that he's, or he's unified, meaning that he's consistent within himself and that he is all of his attributes all of the time. He never takes away from one attribute to exercise another. He is his attributes. He is unchangeable and he is unified. God's wisdom then flows from his transcendence. God's acts in the world flow from his all-knowing, all-powerful nature. His wisdom then is exercised in light of that power in real time and space. In light of God's transcendence, he initiates and guides his providential plan through all things. Wayne Drudem says that God's wisdom always chooses the best goals and the best means to accomplish those goals. Remember that God's wisdom is actualized in real life, which we, uh, leads uh, J.I. Packard to say that wisdom is God's moral goodness. It's the practical side of his moral goodness. It's how we see his goodness displayed and that we see that God is wise and that all that he does is wise. I want to think about a handful of ways that we see God act in wisdom this morning. We see God's acts of wisdom through creation, redemption, and then his guidance of all things. I want to deal first with God's wise act of creation and his wise acts of guidance first, and then we'll deal with his wise act of redemption in a moment. But first, God is wise in his creation. God is wise in his creation. The Bible demonstrates God's role as creator uh, in that, or, demonst- or displays his role as creator in light of his power and sovereignty over all things. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For his indivisible, or invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so therefore they are without excuse. We can see and perceive God's power through his creation. It demonstrates, creation demonstrates God's creativity in his wisdom. Psalm 104, verse 24 says this, O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Proverbs 3, verse 19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens, by his knowledge the deeps broke open, and closes in the closes dropped down the dew. Have you ever considered? creation, and that led you to praise God for his wisdom? Have you ever thought about how creation sings of the glory of God in his wisdom, that, that he was able to design and then actualize the created order around us? Have you ever been amazed at the wonder of a sunset? Ha, ha, has, has viewing a mountain range ever caused you to praise to, to, to sit at the, the edge of the sea and consider the vastness of the ocean. And to, be in, and to begin to allow yourself to believe that a wise God has designed all this. Think about how extraordinary and complicated our bodies are. The fact that God would, would create in his wisdom God's good gift of gender. That male and female are distinct and yet share in God's image. The fact that our bodies are so intricately woven together that they would reproduce cells to heal themselves over time. God is so wise. Can you imagine for a second that God would set the earth on the exact right angle, that it would revolve around the sun, that it would rotate consistently so that we experience all of the seasons, so that we neither burn up nor freeze to death. God is so wise. See, God's, seeing God's wisdom actualized in the world allows us to simply ponder him and worship him. Friend, maybe you're not a Christian in here today. And one of the, one of the reasons that you're not a Christian, maybe you're watching online. Or, but you, you think you know, science is what holds you back from believing in, a, in an intelligent designer, in a God. Maybe you're not a Christian and you simply have bought into the wholesale idea that an, an evolutionary process uh, brought all things into being. Maybe you're like a friend of mine who didn't know any better and just became an atheist by default. Hadn't really thought about it, but, but atheism and Darwinianism was simply a convenient default because you haven't really thought of much else. But friend, if the complication of your car causes you to think a wise designer had to put this in place, if the complication of your home or some Christmas gift that you got just a week ago, if the complication of those things causes you to think that somebody had to display wisdom to make these things go together, then how much more? How much more would the creation of the world cause us to think a wise designer had to actualize these things? Friend, what if you took 2024 to really investigate for yourself the the possibility of God's existence through what he's created? God is wise in his creation. God is also wise in his guidance of all things. He's wise in his guidance of all things. The Bible does not present a God who creates the world, gets it going, and then backs off. That's deism. And that's not true. It's not biblical. The Bible presents God as one who is intricately involved in all that happens. Colossians 1 uh, verses 15 through 20 has been a foundational text to this entire series. For in it, it tells us that the fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. And of him, Colossians 1 verse 17 says this. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. God's wise providence infiltrates all things. And while this causes many philosophical questions, more than causing us questions, it should promote our trust in him. God's wisdom to guide all things and his providence to see all things through causes our trust. His wisdom and his providence go hand in hand. I've told the story before and I'll tell it again but but Sarah's dad my wife's father was in hospice when I was in seminary. And then at the end of his life I was catching up on some reading for a class that I was in and of all things I was in a systematic theology class and in Wayne Grudem's first edition of his systematic theology text I was reading about God's providence. And as part of his providence, I was reading about God's decree. God, that he decrees all things that come. That he is sovereign over everything. And that in his wisdom, he is guiding and shaping all these things. And it was there in that hospital, or in that hospice center, where her dad was just days from death when I read this. The benefit of an emphasis on God's decrees is that it helps us to realize that God does not make up plans suddenly as he goes along. He knows the end from the beginning and he will accomplish all his good purposes. This should greatly increase our trust in him, especially in difficult circumstances. I wrote the date and the margin of that text because just three days later he would pass away. But brothers and sisters, God's wise, wise, Providence and guidance over all things should elicit our trust in Him. A couple weeks ago in the Sermon on God's Goodness, I read Romans chapter 8, verse 28. A text we might know well in what Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. And we can, again, as I said a couple weeks ago, we can throw that text around to try to ease our suffering. Or we can throw that text around to simply help us ignore the difficult circumstances among us. But in, and we can also kind of read that text and be dismissive of, of, of the truth of it, though, too. But just because while we, again, need to be wise about where we offer that text and about how we remind people that, of that text, the truth of it is real. That God in his wisdom is guiding all things for his glory. That God in his wisdom is shaping all things for our good. It promotes our trust in a wise God who guides all things. Wayne Grudem writes of God's wisdom. Every day of our lives we may quiet our discouragement with the comfort that comes from the knowledge of God's infinite wisdom. If we are his children, we can know that he is working wisely in our lives, even today, to bring us to greater conformity to the image of Christ. Oh, friends, can you trust in a wise God who guides and shapes your circumstances as as a parent asks their own child to simply trust them when we can't understand? Think of how often that might come. From a child, how frequently did you ask your your parents, mom, dad, why? And think about the number of times that as a parent or somebody in authority that you simply have to say, this is too difficult for your mind to handle right now. There aren't easy answers to this. But I need you to trust my wisdom right now in these moments. And in your trust, you may not always have understanding, but you'll always know that a loving parent is caring for you in their wisdom. And friend, for all of us in Christ, the offer is the same. We may not understand how God is using your difficult circumstances for the good of those who love him. We may not understand how God is taking that tragedy and giving himself glory and for the good of his people. We may not always know the reasons why, but we can trust a wise and good God who guides and shapes all things in his wisdom. God is all wise. You might think, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Those circumstances that took place in 2023, I would love to change them. I wouldn't do it that way. I've said those kinds of things too. And then I have to ask myself, Hess, do you think you're smarter than God? Do you think you're wiser than God? We may not understand, but we trust in a wise God. As we think about God's wisdom, we often might go to Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is all-wise in who he is and how he acts, and his acts of creation and guidance of all things give him glory and reveal his wisdom. And still there's a greater revelation of his wisdom. There's a greater display of God's wisdom in the earth as he displays it through his wise son and his people. God reveals, number two, God reveals his wisdom through Christ in the church. God reveals his wisdom through Christ in the church. Throughout this series, we've been demonstrating about how all of the divine attributes are actualized or are true of the eternal son of God and revealed in the life of Christ. Which is why the series has been called God with us, because the eternal son shares in all of the divine attributes and he in, in his life, in his incarnation. We see those attributes put on display in real human flesh, the divine son of God. Jesus talks about his wisdom in Roman, or in sorry in Luke chapter eleven verse thirty one, where he compares himself with the wisdom of Solomon. You remember Old King Solomon? Uh, he, he is remembered or famous for his wisdom. You might remember the story in 1 Kings chapter three, where these two women come to Solomon arguing about who uh, really had this child. Remember, and uh, he, they were trying to discern who really was the mother of this baby. And Solomon, in his wisdom, said, I have an idea. Cut that baby in two and you each take half. Well, of course, the real mother said, no, allow the child to live. Give the child to the other woman. And Solomon, obviously, in his wisdom, knew that that woman was the real mother Of that baby. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28, of this story, it says this: And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was with him to do justice. We see similar statements about God's wisdom being with Joseph back in Genesis. Or God's wisdom being with Daniel as well. 1 Kings chapter 10 describes that the queen of Sheba wanted to come and see Solomon's great wisdom. So she arrives and she asked him all these difficult questions and, and, and to try to discern um, how wise he really was. And, he, and Solomon answered all of the questions and she was amazed. And she said this to Solomon. She says, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came with my own eyes and had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. We think about Solomon. We think about his wisdom. And that queen of Sheba was amazed at the wisdom of Solomon. When Luke chapter 11 While Jesus is talking to the people around him and they're demanding some kind of sign, like give us a sign, give us some wisdom, Uh, amaze us with the wonder of your teaching or of your miracles that might display who you really are. And Jesus says in Luke 11 verse 31, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Solomon was the all-wise king who made judgments of justice, who ruled and reigned with the wisdom of God. And yet, and yet, something greater, something wiser and more glorious than Solomon was here. Jesus is the true wise one from God. Jesus reveals God's wisdom in several ways. And We'll deal with two of them right now. First, Jesus reveals his wisdom through the gospel, and then he reveals his wisdom through the church. But let's deal with the first part. Jesus reveals his wisdom through the gospel. In God's wisdom, he created the world. We've seen that. He created human beings who, as his image bearers, as the climax of creation, and yet even in making them, Even in making humanity as his image bearers to share in a rich relationship with him, God knew, God knew that they would sin and rebel against him. One of my children just asked me this last week, Dad, why would God even allow Adam and Eve to sin? Next week is the first Ask Anything with the juniors and seniors in our church. Again, uh, only juniors and seniors are invited. (laughs) But one of my children asked potentially maybe one of the most difficult questions that you could ever think. Why would God even allow Adam and Eve to sin? I've been studying formal theology for quite a few years. I have several advanced degrees in theology. You know what I said to my kid? I don't know. I don't know. But I followed with this. Without the fall, without the sin of Adam and Eve, we would not be able to see God's wise glory in the gift of his son to die on the cross for sinners. See, in God's wisdom before the foundations of the earth, he saw fit to provide the way of salvation for fallen sinners through sending and the dying of his own eternal son. God's eternal wise plan permitted the fall into sin, but he also provided the remedy so that all who trust in Jesus Christ alone are forgiven, reconciled, and given new life in Christ. We don't know exactly why God would allow such a thing. But in his wise plan, he permitted the fall, but provided the remedy. And again, you might say, well, well, I would love to come up with a better way than that. Friend, you're not God. And God, in his wisdom, allows the glory of the gospel, the wiseness of the gospel, and the wiseness of God to destroy the foolishness of the world, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians, chapter one, where he says the, that the gospel is the wisdom and power of God, and, the, and it shames the foolishness of the world. First Corinthians one verse eighteen says this: "For for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is absolutely ridiculous to anyone outside of Christ. The cross seems seems terribly insufficient. The cross seems weird and extraordinarily offensive to anyone who's outside of Christ, which is why 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit must reveal that wisdom to us. The Holy Spirit must make it known so that we can see in glory in the cross. The wisdom of the cross shames the world wisdom, which is, he goes on this to this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, friends, the wisdom of the cross compels us to preach Christ confidently. When Wes was talking up here earlier about gospel ambition to, to declare Christ to someone in 2024, the reason that we can do that confidently is because God in his wisdom is actually making that message known on the hearts of people who hear it. And that the Holy Spirit is the one who is using the wisdom of God, even the foolishness of God, to shame the wisdom of men. Friends, we can be confident that God will use the good message of the gospel to make that message known to people to bring them to new life in Christ. The wisdom of the cross also helps us to rejoice in the Lord for our salvation, whereas the world's wisdom would tell us to rejoice in our own abilities. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 says this For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you of noble birth. If we were on the playground, we might say, not many of you would have been picked first for that team. In worldly worldly wisdom, not many of us have much to offer. In worldly wisdom and the world's team, we would be the last chosen. In fact, we might not even be chosen at all. But God chose what is foolish In the world to shame the wise, God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it it is written, let the one who boasts boast. In the Lord. Friends, we don't have much to offer the world by way of our own. We don't have anything to offer God by way of our own. But God did not look at us and by the world's wisdom simply pick the best, the brightest, the tallest, the smartest. If you don't feel like you belong in the world, friend, there is a place for you with Jesus. Jesus chose what was low and despised in the world. Jesus chose us despite our insufficiencies. Jesus chose us despite what we have lack. Jesus chose us when we have nothing else to offer. It was not because of our intellect, our abilities, even our uh, anything that we have to offer him so that no gift can be repaid to us. Jesus chose us despite all of our sin, all of our weaknesses, so that we might boast not in our wisdom, but in God's. Jesus chose to shame the world's wisdom by saving us simply through his wisdom and the power of the cross. Which leads us to the second display of Christ's great wisdom, and that's his wisdom through the church. Jesus reveals the wisdom of God through the church. See, when we trust in Jesus... When we place our faith in him, we're grafted into a family. We're grafted into a people that the Bible calls the church. The gospel is for people of every tribe and nation. It's for Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor. In the first century, these these ethnic, gender, and economic distinctions would have provided many barriers for a people to be united around Christ especially the distinction between Jew and Gentile. But one of the glorious apologetics, one of the glorious evidences for the effect of the gospel was how the gospel is what unified people of diverse backgrounds. Gender distinctions, ethnic distinctions, socioeconomic. Everybody had a home. Everybody had a place in the family of God, in the church. And God uses his wisdom to display that through the church to the rest of the world. This is why in Ephesians 2, we're told that the hostility between peoples, the hostility between these divisions has been torn down through Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 8 through 11 says this. Paul writes, "...to me, though, I am the very least of all the saints." Isn't this glorious? Isn't it glorious to know that God has designed Grace Polaris Church and the broader world church, universal church, God's people scattered from every tribe, language, and tongue to declare his wisdom to the heavenly places so that rulers might look at this church and say, God is wise in what I see going on there you might feel like this is a a ragtag group of misfits. And in many ways, you'd be right. But in God's economy, we are the grandest, most glorious army ever to be seen on this planet. In God's economy, we are the wise microphone declaration of his wisdom to everyone who's looking. Because it's in the church where real love is seen. It's in the church where we're unified despite our diverse backgrounds. It's in the church where our confession of Christ as Lord is, unites us more than anything that divides us. And friends, may that be so in 2024. May anything that tempts to divide us in this next year, may we always bring that and crucify it at the foot of the cross. So that nothing, nor height, nor death, nor life or death, nothing would separate us from the love of Christ and the love that we have for one another. May the wisdom of God be displayed in our church family. May we be known and know others. May we commit to one another. May we love and serve one another. Because God in his wisdom is revealing all of that to the world around us by how we relate to each other. And this is why being a healthy church that fuels healthy churches is so important to the mission of God and the vision of our church. That we would be something that's replicated elsewhere. That we would be the kind of people who glorify God, that serve one another, that God's wisdom might be made known. This is why our participation in a local church family is so essential. Participation in the family of God in a local church is not plan B. It's not discipleship with a little extra. It is basic Christianity. To follow Jesus through the context of a commitment to a local family of God. For it is the church where God displays his wisdom. Remember, God's wisdom is revealed not just in knowing, but in action. It's demonstrated in virtue. So so while we as a church family then... Or displaying God's wisdom. We're also doing that in our individual lives. We're, we're displaying that individually. But as we communicate or as we connect to one another as a family, we're doing that corporately as well. So we as a church and as individual Christians, then need to walk in wisdom. God is the all-wise God. He reveals this through Christ and his church. And then finally, God's people now walk in wisdom or walk in virtue. Walking in wisdom is something that is evidenced in a transformed life. As we said earlier, wisdom is immensely practical. It's outward in nature. The book of Proverbs is a fantastic practical guidance for a wise life in light of a relationship with the Lord. So I want to spend the rest of our time with some biblically directed, Holy Spirit-guided application for what it means to walk in wisdom with our lives. We'll do this in three categories. First, we'll look at wisdom with the Lord Wisdom with relationships and then wisdom with the world. First, wisdom with the Lord. There is no true and everlasting wisdom outside of a relationship with Jesus. Sure, someone can offer wisdom about life through personal experiences, but it's only in a relationship with Christ that provides the kind of ultimate wisdom that we really need. And the wisdom literature of Scripture, including Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, provides unique content on what a wise life looks like. And in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 says this The end of the matter uh, all has been heard Fear God and keep his commandments For this is the whole duty of man Friends if you're trying to live a wise life Simply on your own power You will be exhausted pretty quick You'll run out A wise life begins and ends With a relationship with Jesus Christ James chapter 1 says If any of you last or lack for wisdom, you should ask for it. I thought about taking a poll. Who here lacks wisdom? It would be unanimous. We all lack, again, in our own abilities, we lack wisdom. So therefore, we must pray to the Lord. God, would you give me wisdom? In 2024, would you give me wisdom? It's a divine gift. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that the Bible then is able to make one wise for salvation because it tells us about who God is through Jesus, about what Christ has done to die for our sins and what it means to have a right relationship with him through faith and repentance. The Bible is able to make us wise. So as you think about walking in wisdom with the Lord, first, do you have a relationship with him? Are you simply trying to be wise on your own strength? Have you turned from your sin and placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone so that you might say the beginning of wisdom is through trust in the Lord? Are you then asking for wisdom in prayer? As you look at this next year, what kind of person are you going to be? You're going to have the divine gift of wisdom. Is uh, is, Is that on your prayer list for 2024? God, give me wisdom. What do you meditate on? If you go home and have the news on for hours on end, you're going to meditate on that message. If you spend your evening strolling through social media, you're going to meditate on that message. How is the word, how is the word your source of meditation? How how have you found, how will you find in 2024 the sweetness of the word to you? What, what what text might you try to memorize in this next year? What is your meditation? What is your relationship like with the Lord? And can you pray as you make plans, Lord, all of this is only if you will? I'm asking you to guide and shape all things. We must walk with wisdom with the Lord. Secondly, wisdom with relationships, wisdom with relationships. Wisdom is often revealed in the kind of company that we keep. And Proverbs speak to the kind of company that someone has, different friends that are closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend come from its, his earnest counsel. We need deep connections with one another, especially in the context of a local church. God's people are here to help us walk in wisdom. When you're making big decisions... Who are the people that you can turn to for godly and honest counsel? Or or, or are you just looking for people who agree with your own presuppositions? Who, Who can you turn to? A close friend who's going to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. How are we connected with one another? I'm so grateful for godly friends in my life who are not impressed with me who tell me exactly what I I need to hear. I'm thankful for a godly wife who can tell me and speak directly to my heart just what I need. I pray regularly for my kids' relationships, that they would be good friends and have good friends. We need those kind of connections in in a healthy church. Wisdom is also a gift of the Spirit identified in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, that talks about the wisdom of God being a gift so that there's discernment among the church. One of our more veteran elders talked about that this week, of how he had seen the Holy Spirit work through the wise counsel of the elders here. I'm so glad that the leadership of this church is through a plurality of wise elders. Not just one individual, but through a plurality of, of elders, and I'm so grateful for how God has gifted many of them with wisdom to make decisions here. As I think about relationships, I want to talk to two other groups of people here that all of us will fall into one or the other, and some into both. First, to anyone younger, okay? So if you're younger than somebody, this applies to you. <laughs> but especially those who are of, let's just say, 40 and under. Who are the gray-haired people in your life? Who are the wise elders in your life that you're going to for wisdom? Young women, who are the older women that you're connecting to with advice on being a wife, mom, or walking faithfully as a single woman? Young men, who are you going to to seek advice and counsel about being a godly man? Proverbs 23 verse 22 says, Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is Old young people, who are you looking to for wisdom? Next, to anyone older, let's just say north of 40. Who are you seeking to advise, counsel and pray for? Where are you seeking to live a legacy of wisdom? Your assets may be little, Silver and gold you may not have, but wisdom, I bet you have. As a multi-generational church, I am thrilled with the opportunities that we have to connect generations. But are we taking them? Are we looking to bridge those generational gaps to encourage one another? And older folks, go find someone younger. In these next couple weeks, and just simply say, we don't know each other. I just want you to know that this morning in the service, I prayed for you and your family. Thanks for being here. For any of us, for many of you who have been around here for decades, you can point to people who have long gone, who are an example to you, who prayed for you, who welcomed you, who encouraged you. So if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s today, there's a generation who 40 years from now, who will be part of this faithful church when you're gone. And they will tell stories about how you encouraged them. They will tell stories about how you prayed for them. What a privilege in a multi-generational church that we're able to connect relationally to give and receive wisdom. Final category, wisdom with the world. Wisdom with the world. We as God's people, as Christ's church, are told to be people who live in the world but not of it. So therefore, we live among the drunkards, the swindlers, adulterers, and evildoers. But those attributes should never describe The church. Jesus warns in Matthew 10, verse 16 Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Friends, we display the wisdom of God through our lives of moral purity. God's instructions for us are not burdensome, but they are for human flourishing. When we obey God's commands, when we obey His moral instructions, we are living a flourishing life as God has designed. And walking in wisdom is sometimes different than just asking what's right or wrong, or how close or how far away from the line I can be. Sometimes walking in wisdom leads you to more liberty, to more freedom in certain areas. Other times, walking in wisdom leads to more restrictions. maybe maybe even more than the Bible commands. But walking in wisdom is the goal of our hearts, and it's for human flourishing. God's commands for sexual purity, for rest, work, honor, truth-telling, are all for our good, for our flourishing in his glory. Walking in wisdom with the world also means or includes a winsome witness, a winsome witness to declare Christ, Dozens of Proverbs deal with how we speak and controlling our words and speaking truthfully is immensely important. And in this day and age, we need a winsome witness to declare Christ where he is not known. Paul prays this or asked for prayer in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Notice what Paul prays. Paul prays for a clear door to declare the mystery of Christ. And he says, pray that I would declare it clearly and pray that I would declare it wisely. Some of us in here, in an effort to be winsome, sometimes never get to the truth. Sometimes we can be so afraid of upsetting the apple cart or ending a relationship that we, in, in an effort to be winsome, we fail to declare truth. Brothers and sisters, a winsome witness never allows our winsomeness, our character, to get in the way of what we know we need to declare about the reality of sin, the eternity of hell, and the glory of Christ. And it's only through him that someone is made right with God, through trusting him. But some of us in this congregation are more truth-tellers. And in an effort to be true about what's right and wrong, we sometimes lose opportunities because we lack in some winsomeness. We lack in the ability to ask good questions, to dialogue, to rather than a sprinkling salt, seasoning salt on, on a conversation, we would rather just hit somebody over the head with a salt block. <laughs> a salt shaker goes a lot further than a salt block with winsome witness. Friends, what would it look like for us to declare the truth of Christ winsomely, with love, with grace, but always with truth as we love them? To be wise in the world, we must be wise with our moral lives and we we must be wise with how we speak to others. As we conclude this series, remember our main idea today is that the wisdom of God compels us to worship him and walk in virtue. God is the only wise God. He's made that known through Christ and his church and he compels us as followers to walk with him but to worship him. Him. Paul, all the depths of the riches and the wisdom of knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to me glory forever. Amen. See, a series on the attributes of God is not meant to just fill our minds If we walk away from these last several weeks simply with knowing more things about God, we've only got part of the the goal accomplished. But if we walk away in wonder, in awe, in worship, in obedience, in virtue, because of how we have beheld God, then friends, there is room for us to come. There is room for all of us to be invited into this relationship with Jesus as we behold God and who he is and his wonder that we might worship him and walk with him in 2024. Just this morning I was reading in a devotional I read nearly every morning and the text was John 7:37, where Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Friends, a sermon series on the attributes of God is God's invitation to come. If you're thirsty, looking for water, that fountain is deep and well enough for you to come to Christ. Drink. Come to Jesus. Bask in his greatness. Glory in the wonder of knowing him. Come and drink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have, we pray that we've seen enough of you that we might wonder and worship and that we might walk with you in trust. Thanks, Lord, that because of how you have given of yourself and designed all things and are are, are given all things and are uh, guiding all things, we pray that we would trust you with all of our lives. Thanks, Lord, that you are the only wise God, worthy of glory and majesty, And we look forward to one day spending all of eternity basking in your greatness and praise. We pray, Lord, that this next year, 2024, will be a year where we grow in our love and affection for the all-wise transcendent God. That we might know you and trust that you are working for your good and our glory. Fill us with a deep affection for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen.